crack that coconut. Who wants to open up? Hello and welcome to Crack That Coconut, the podcast that is cracking open the stigma around mental health. I'm your host, Juliette Kirby, and over this series, I'll be joined by guests who open up about their own mental health experiences and how they have supported people in need. By sharing our stories, we hope to crack open more conversations about mental health. Today, I'll be talking to my longtime friend, Chesky Walker. Chesky joins me to talk about her mental health journey and how her own struggles led her to study psychology at university and develop a deeper understanding of the inner workings of her own mind. I am so grateful for how open and vulnerable Chesky was in this discussion and am inspired by her reflective nature and empathy. To kick off, I'll let Chesky introduce herself, what she does for work and what she likes to do to look after her physical and mental health. Okay, hello. Thanks for having me. My name is Francesca Walker. People call me Chesk or Chesky as well. I am a junior producer slash production manager at Finch, which is a production company in Sydney. You and I went to school together and then we went to university together where I studied a Bachelor of Psychology and a Bachelor of Arts, majoring in anthropology. What I like to do to protect my mental health, I think getting outside and being active is really important. I like to try start my day with some form of exercise. Obviously not every day I can do that or feel like doing that. I also just have little hobbies such as reading, cooking. I started knitting recently, catching up with friends, family, just all the things. It's kind of a day by day system that I work to of just checking in with myself and thinking how much energy do I have today and do I need to fuel it or do I need to conserve it Mm, I love that so thank you for introducing yourself and yes we have known each other for a long time now and uh yeah just very very excited to have you on the show um it's going to be quite a special conversation and and vulnerable I suspect So (laughs) to to give everyone a a bit more background as well, so Chesky studied psychology at uh, university. And so what we're really looking to try and delve into is sort of how Chesky's own experience with looking after and gaining self-awareness around her mental health has intersected with her understanding of the theory of psychology through, through her studies. So to kick off, I'd love to talk about anxiety and, and we all know that anxiety exists on a spectrum from sort of clinical diagnosis to fleeting situational uh, feelings of anxiety that can come up, um, you know, daily, weekly or, or whenever, <laughs> whenever they sort of choose to arise. And so I want to just get your thoughts on, on how the experience of how you think the experience of anxiety differs along the spectrum. Sure. I think it's important, as you said, I've studied psychology, but I do want to put a little disclaimer that I'm not an expert or accredited psychologist. So everything I'm saying I have studied, but it's, I guess, my experience, but definitely anxiety exists on a spectrum. You can kind of have everyday life anxiety where it ranges from mild to moderate to severe to panic attack level. 
And as you said, it can come up at different levels. It varies due to kind of your specifications of yourself, I guess, the sources. It can be influenced by gender, sexuality, personality, experiences, the coping strategies you have. And I know for myself, I feel like I've experienced that whole array of, you know, the spectrum that is everyday life anxiety. But then you can also have anxiety disorders, which an anxiety, to have an anxiety disorder, it's defined as excessive worry or hyper or and hyperarousal that's disruptive to normal functioning. And there's such an array of disorders. You can have generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, which is fear of places and situation. You can have substance or medication-induced anxiety disorders. It can also be present in OCD or PTSD. So yeah, there's a huge kind of wide array of different sorts of anxieties that you can have. And and do you think so the experience of anxiety and sort of irrespective of how that's kind of been brought about, can that be fairly consistent or um, not consistent, but, you know, a shared experience between people who might feel, you know, some anxiety brought on by one thing compared to someone who's had anxiety brought on by another situation? Yeah, I think like regardless of your situation or what the cause of anxiety is, I do think everyone has or a lot of people have a good understanding of feeling anxious. Even if it's just anxiety about giving a speech in public, you might not completely understand panic attacks if you haven't had a panic attack. I think panic attacks are for anyone who has had one and I've suffered them myself. They're really scary and they're really scary to watch someone go through as well because there's actually nothing you can do to stop a panic attack. You just have to let it unfold And so when, if someone's having or experiencing a panic attack, trying to tell them to just like stop isn't actually helpful because it is just something you have to let play out. But when you're in that state, you think it's never going to end. But I do think just in the way that the world's even connected at the moment and the fast paced culture and society that we have, I feel like it's pretty safe to say people have a general either sympathy or understanding for anxiety because no matter where you are on the spectrum, you can, there's still the underlying kind of feelings of it. Yeah, oh, that, that's so interesting and a really good answer. It's raised a couple of, of points that I, that I want to follow up on. Uh, maybe firstly, let's talk about your experience with anxiety. And if, you, if you're comfortable or open to it, the first panic attack experience that you had and kind of, yeah, how... Uh, how that might have um, come about and and the perspective that that's given you on on your anxiety and, and your mental health. Totally. Um, I think I was kind of doing some reflection in preparation for this about just my mental health journey and anxiety. And I kind of see that my life, I feel like, has four distinct stages of my mental health journey, which is quite interesting and I think that does couple with awareness and self-awareness and self-conversation that I've started I think well to start at the beginning would probably be the you know largest stage that is kind of the foundation of my journey that I can see was in about year nine year 10 it's all a bit hazy to me still I don't know maybe that's a coping mechanism but 
I had an eating disorder in school and it's funny, it's a label I've only recently kind of accepted and said. Um, And I lost about 20 kilograms, which isn't, you know, a small amount, but it took me so long to kind of gain that acceptance. But I thought at the time, I don't have a disorder. I'm in control. Look, I've snapped out of it. But if I really kind of reflect on it, really being honest, I haven't. It's something that still sits with me today and something I have a conversation about every day in my head, even if it's multiple times a day. But I think back then I wasn't as accepting of my whole self. And I think when you aren't accepting of your whole self and you think about being vulnerable and recognizing maybe your faults or maybe your insecurities, that induces anxiety. So it's kind of easier to minimize it when you don't have the tools or mental strength that I feel like I have today to accept it and accept what that was. Um, And then I think after that, what I kind of see is my stage two, I suppose, is around year 12. I was 16 in year 12, which was just a kind of journey of its own. Um, It was quite isolating to a degree. And I was a bit unhappy or quite unhappy when I was finishing school. And so, of course, I decided to take a gap year because I thought that might solve everything. And I remember while I was traveling, I stayed with some family and both my aunt and my grandma spoke to me about my unhappiness. Um, But still then I kind of didn't, wasn't ready to accept it. And they both tried to get me to speak to someone and I wasn't ready to be there because I feel like acknowledgement and acceptance of your spectrum, whatever it is, goes hand in hand with therapy. You kind of have to be open and willing to learn and to deep dive because it's really scary to be vulnerable, but it does kind of unlock something in you. So I wasn't there, but I decided rather that I was going to go do a psychology degree (laughs) rather than see a therapist, I was going to become one. But I think it's interesting kind of looking back on it. And I know you wanted to talk about as well. I think my own issues kind of sparked that interest and desire to understand mental health even though I didn't have self-acceptance at that time or was ready to speak to someone, I did want to learn about it. I think for me, what I've learned is education and research I find really empowering because I think it gives me an understanding of the broader array, but also of myself. I love that. And yeah, I'm really excited to um, dive into the rest of that journey, but you've gone, you've raised so much just, just in that, that I, I think we should pause here and and (laughs) on on a few of those things. And uh, I mean, I just love to say that firstly, uh, you know, thank you for being so open about that because, you know, it's something that I, I feel like I've shared a very similar experience and talking about like an eating disorder in the way that, you know, sort of Zara and I were talking about in the first episode, I had, I still almost to this like day to this moment think like, you know, if, you sort of diminish it in your head for how big of a problem it was. So then it's hard to kind of talk about and um, to recognise as an issue. Uh, so, and, and then I think it's it was that that kind of induced a lot of the anxiety that I that I felt. And, um, and yes, yeah, so it's really interesting to hear about how that sort of sparked and initiated your journey. Um, 
and your interest in your psychology degree, which I, I didn't know until now. I think, yeah, that traveling year, I, me- I remember it so clearly, this thought coming into my head that I think I thought traveling and just running away essentially was going to solve everything. And I just had this crystal clear moment. I was living in New York by myself and I just thought the problems are in my head and I've got to deal with that. It was just like such an obvious but epiphany. And then, of course, yeah, I was like, well, why don't I go study a psychology degree? Because that way I can really get to the kind of nuts of it. Nuts, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think what you're saying about sort of being directed or, or, you know, told by your support network that you need to see a therapist or, or go to therapy um, and sort of that internal resistance that um, mm. we have to that. And I think, you know, you touch on a point that you have to be at that point where you're really willing to sort of stop, acknowledge and do the hard work, which is tackling all that, you know, all those things you've got going on inside you. And so the first thing that I think most of us try to do is, is avoid and escape and I think, you know, yeah. in your traveling, that's it's just so interesting how that kind of, yeah, played out though for you that you quickly realized that it, it's not going to escape you. It's it's with you and power to you for, for wanting to, um, to study psychology to help you through that. And I think there's so much information out there now that, you know, we're, we're talking about it um, in this podcast, but there's a greater access to information for for individuals to to start that journey themselves to start asking the you know asking questions seeing what other people are doing seeing what might help them do you think how do you think that information or that access to information is now is it good enough is it too confusing there's a lot of different sources out there and you know sometimes might be difficult to discern what opinions to trust. I think it's really, it's a difficult one because I think there's such benefits and such downfalls to our access of information and the connection we have. I think it's created more understanding and awareness for mental health. You can just look at the pandemic currently and how much discussion there is about the mental health toll, toll and Lifeline is discussed about so much more. I think people are more aware of the actual tools that are out there. Um, Google, we all know Dr. Google can be your best friend and your like most hated enemy. But I think it's I think what's really important is to self-reflect and ask yourself, well, what do I need from me? Research I find really helpful. I find talking to my friends really helpful because it just gives me kind of a broader understanding. And I think just trying different things and unpacking what the right tool for you is, is such an important part of your journey. And I think to speak to that point of, even if you're not ready to speak to someone, I know with my friends who don't see therapists and I'm so encouraging, I think everyone should go see a therapist really, just my biased opinion, but I just kind of offered gentle reminders because it does sit in the back of your mind of the other tools that are out there. I think we're so absorbent of so much. And so my aunt or my grandma speaking to me, it still sat in the back of my mind till I was ready to kind of go see someone. But I, but for me personally, like I found studying, which was 
you know, such an overwhelming amount of research, I mean, information really helpful for my journey. Um, I remember at one point, what at one of the points in my degree, we started learning about the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And essentially it's this handbook that has the classification system of mental disorders or mental health disorders. And they've got an A to F roughly for every disorder out there. And you have to meet the um, that criteria in order to attain a diagnosis of depression or an eating disorder, whatever it is. And it's great. But what stood out to me was that it was overly simplistic. And we discussed the limitations of it, which was that it, you know, it is a bit reductive to mental health and to the array that it is and the spectrum. And for me, that is what kind of lit a light bulb rather than focusing on what the DSM actually does. And I, you know, failed, I remember I failed an assignment because they, <laughs> I really focused on the limitations. But for me, it kind of sparked in my understanding that mental health is more dynamic than that. And as a result, I kind of began to turn inwards rather than just my external world and thinking, well, I'm fine. Look how lucky I am. I'm at one of the best universities. I should just kind of suck it up. And it kind of opened me up. And I think recognition that everyone's on some sort of journey at some sort of position within that spectrum. And I think, of course, it is important to be aware and acknowledge that some people's situation and experiences are much worse than my own. And that also helps with perspective, but it's also that you can't reduce your emotions and your mental health by comparing yourself to others because they are real. You are feeling them. They are happening. And if you don't face them, then they could take over and it could escalate. So I think for me, having that knowledge around me actually began the conversation with myself that helped me to actually evolve onto seeing a therapist. Mm, yeah, and, and that was actually going to be my, my follow-up question. How did uh, doing that, that work, that research, you know, what was, what, what point were you, did you feel comfortable to, to go out and, and see a therapist? And, and did you like the first one you saw? I did. I really liked him. Um, I do, I, <laughs> you probably <laughs> say this, but I miss him. Um, but it actually took a lot of bad events to occur for me to go finally see a therapist. But I think from the journey up until those points, I had started that conversation with myself, which allowed me to be ready. But I had this period and it's kind of what I see as like the stage three of my journey um, where I just had kind of felt like a snowball of bad things happen. I lost a friend in an accident. Um, my grandpa died in a kind of unexpected and tragic way. And then shortly after my grandma passed away, I went through my first breakup, which was just really kind of a roller coaster. My mom got cancer and it was just suffocating um, for that period. But I, I don't know, I think the work that I maybe put in before that and those external events really caused me to be able to be internal and check on myself. And I realized and accepted that I needed help. And I realized that even though I might not be on the end of the spectrum or have an anxiety disorder, 
I'm still not okay and I can still ask for some help. And, you know, I was having panic attacks and I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't doing well. So what I did is I did some research into um, therapists. I was in, we were in Canberra at the time in Canberra. I think it's really important to also understand the array of therapies out there because there are so many different things that you can try for me similar time we were learning about positive psychology which is kind of a branch of psychology which is the study of human flourishing which really struck a core with me because it was kind of the notion that um it's an understanding of human sadness but it's you don't focus on it you don't focus on the kind of quote-unquote negatives but it's rather trying to explain and provide tools to encourage being okay and being good and um prevention and recognizing triggers so I thought well that's a really kind of cool aspect of psychology because it's saying well okay you're not okay now but you can be okay and let's work out how to get back there and provide you with the tools and awareness to continue that so I really found him so helpful and he was great because he also kind of got that I liked to understand things and I remember in our first session he was saying okay when you're anxious your prefrontal cortex shuts off. What your prefrontal cortex controls is your rational thinking. So if you're feeling anxious, you actually cannot think rationally. And that is when you start to snowball and when you start to catastrophize. And I was just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like, thank you. And so now it's even whenever I feel, start to feel anxious, I have that in my head where I'm like, okay, we're not thinking rationally. Let's take a breath let's step back. And I remember just walking out of that first session, I actually met up with Zara right after it. And I just felt so light and empowered. Um, And just that awareness that you don't have to be at rock bottom to get help. And you don't have to hold on to these weights for no reason, or at least you don't have to carry them alone. And it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to, you know, speak to people. And I think that really helped with my understanding and acceptance of that kind of part of that journey yeah wow that was giving me a goosebumps and I think that you know that's amazing that you were able to recognize that that you and that you needed help and and to reach out and I think you know it's part of what I'm seeing now with this greater sort of education and and society conversation around mental health is that even though people might not be struggling now, it's when, you know, life can throw these things at you and you have them in the back of your mind to be able to, to, to draw on them, you know, when you need to. But I'm also of the same opinion that, you know, everyone should see a therapist and it shouldn't really just be um, called upon when you've had something uh, that's sort of yeah, really like it triggered you and, and really requires external support. But I, I still think there is a little bit of, of stigma around around seeing a therapist. And, you know, people assume when you say, oh, I'm going to therapy or I'm doing this or, or seeing a kinesiologist that the first sort of question is like, oh, is everything okay? What's kind of wrong? And, you know, um, sometimes it can just be like a check-in and a tool that, you know, you implore or I implore to to manage my mental health um, hmm. now that I've, you know, seen the benefits of it, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember my aunt said that to me back when I was, you know, 17 and travelling 
she was like, you might not feel that you need to see a therapist, but I think you see a therapist when you're good so that when it becomes bad, as you said, you now have these tools in your mind. And I totally agree. I think there still is a stigma and I think it's definitely reducing. I think amongst our generation, it seems that way as well. I just think maybe because of the connection and, you know, our online kind of presence, there's more discussion of it. I know at work, if I had a therapy appointment, I vocalized it to anyone. Like I wasn't going to make an excuse. And I think for women as well, we're so sheltered about, you know, if we're getting even a pap smear, we might say, oh, we're just going for a checkup or something. And if I was leaving to go see my therapist because it was a 12 p.m. thing, I stated to the office if anyone asked because I'm, I think owning your mental health is also empowering. So not hiding it and putting it away. I remember my therapist in Sydney once said, and I thought it was an incredible quote, <laughs> but she was just like, shame thrives in the dark. So you have to let the light in. And it was just like, yeah, if you hide something, then it fuels this idea and notion that it's bad and it's not a good quality of you to have. But if you talk about it, you're like, no, this is a part of who I am. It's not the entirety of who I am and I'm working on it. And how cool is that? Yeah, no, that, that's so true. And I think um, and I think there, there's a big sort of, cultural shift that needs to happen though in in the workplace to enable that because that is uh, amazing and I, and I love that uh, <laughs> that your your ownership of you know just being so uh, open and honest about <laughs> when you go to <laughs> appointments because I would always be someone who would I, I would say oh, I've got an appointment or, or a doctor's appointment that yeah I don't want to specify because you know I had this perception or belief that people would think that I'm not coping because uh, I was working quite a high pace, you know, when I was working in consulting. And, and it was almost this culture of kind of just you grin and bear it and rise above. And, uh, and I think that's why that's sort of at the same time I was going through my own eating issues and that was inducing a lot of anxiety from, from both that and the, the high workload. <laughs> and I think that's what kind of really started my interest in opening the, dis- the discussion around mental health so much more now. And I think, as you said, information is power and, and being able to kind of know what's out there, what how, related to your experience and, and help others with their own experiences is, is really powerful. Um, yeah. And I think also to that point, there's also obvious, it's also important to protect yourself. And I remember even you know, my therapist and I were kind of working on opening up and being vulnerable, but she was highlighting, you don't have to do that with everyone. So, you know, if, if it's safer for you to say, I'm just going to an appointment or whatever it is, I think just there's a circle that you can trust and knowing, you know, I feel really lucky that I feel very comfortable with the people I work with and I can vocalize things like that. But I know that's not the case for everyone. And so you do have to protect yourself. And I think that's a coping strategy on its own of recognizing who you can speak to and where's a safe space and where it's just like, actually, I don't think that's going to help me. So I'm just going to carry on my journey. I know for me, like if something goes wrong, I often have to take a beat by myself to process it and think about it before I can communicate it with other people. Mm. But some people might think that is, you know, not reaching out for help, but I'm like, no, I just need to 
process it first and come to terms with something, then I can speak about it in a more healthy way that's constructive. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and I and I agree that that varies person to person. And so you were saying earlier that you drop hints to to some friends to see therapists. Uh, <laughs> what other kinds of tools do you do you use or, or draw upon to help friends when you notice they're struggling or, or recommend to them? I think what I've recognized or what I've been working on is kind of like validation. And my therapist in Sydney, she's, she was really interesting. She kind of talks about self-validation, which has become a really important thing, I think, and something that I always, whenever a friend says something to me, I try to be like, it's completely fair that you're feeling that. But also self-validation is so important. One of her big things is kind of that conversation with self, which is something I also encourage friends to do which is kind of become inquisitive about what's going on so what my therapist was said she's kind of has this notion of like this little girl which is the younger self that would have been or was validated and protected by your parents when you were a baby but that time has now passed and you can't really rely on anyone else to give that same support structure. And so you have to recognize that you are now the protector of that little girl and you have to kind of interrogate and investigate and ask yourself questions about what's going on and why are you feeling that way? And I think validation is important in a way because I don't think it's ever helped anyone to say, well, you shouldn't have that feeling and, you know, why would you be feeling that way? (laughs) I just think it kind of, you know, it's not helpful. And I think just conversation also with your network about when you're feeling down encourages them to speak to you as well. I was listening to this podcast yesterday, actually, with Nell Frizzell, who is the author of Panic Years. And she was talking about interdependency and how this is kind of the bedrock of all social systems and relationships And I'd always seen dependency as kind of a weakness Um, and obviously vulnerability is quite scary and I'm working on that. But what she said that kind of made me have this aha moment was rather than taking the easier route of remaining independent and remaining unchallenged, there's a strength of character in being interdependent and in sharing your fears and vulnerabilities, which creates kind of a strong reciprocal relationship where you look after one another And, you know, she said this quote where if they can't handle your vulnerability, it will never be a good relationship. And I feel like with friendships, creating that support system and sharing and communicating is so important. So I think the biggest tool I found is that communication with self, communication with your friends, communication with a therapist. I think therapy exists on a spectrum as well as, you know, the disorders that you might start with yourself. And then you can move on to speaking to a close friend and then you can start speaking to, you know, maybe your family members or whoever is inducing the anxiety if there is someone who is. And then maybe you can speak to a therapist. In that same vein, I find journaling so helpful. As I kind of said before, sometimes I have to take a beat when something's going on and process it. And I find journaling as such a helpful tool. And I always encourage kind of my friends to do that as well. Cause I think in the same vein, it encourages conversation with yourself, um, 
whether it's asking yourself the question or you're just working out like what's going on in your head so you can explain it. So I think those two things are really important. Exercise is obviously always helpful going for a walk. If someone, you know, doesn't feel like talking, you could just say, okay, well, why don't we go for a walk? Why don't we go for a swim? I think the ocean has incredible healing powers. (laughs) Um, Whenever I feel stressed, I love to jump in the ocean or even just have a shower. I like feel like it washes away <laughs> anxieties. But I think those are my kind of main ones, meditating and taking a beat and breathing. Because as I said before, that kind of rational, you know, as my therapist in Canberra had said, um, when you're feeling anxious, your rational brain's not actually working. So taking a beat and breathing and then working through it, I think, we do live in such a fast pace where we think we have to sort everything out so quickly. And sometimes that's not going to happen. So you actually do need to just kind of go slower. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think uh, amazing, amazing (laughs) advice. And uh, we're lucky to have you as a friend because I definitely call on you for those times when I, when I'm not feeling so great. I think what you, what you touched on there about therapy existing on a spectrum is a, is a really important point because you need to do the work, sort of have that, initial conversation with yourself have conversations with your support network and then if if the problem is still kind of or if you're still not feeling like you're kind of getting clarity it's also having uh that uh sort of um clinical and and professional advice and and I don't think like I think you sort of need all of them I don't think you can just rely on one and I think something that I've found really interesting in just talking about the uh, self-validation and exploring the feelings uh, on your own. I, I was finding it quite difficult uh, initially in the lockdown because I rely quite heavily on connecting with people in my support network as ways to, to deal with, um, you know, my, my feelings. And, and um, I was feeling a bit down and, and disconnected in lockdown. And my kinesiologist was saying that what you, that's great, but that's like a shortcut to to feeling better and you know once that that conversation's over you you haven't actually done the work yourself to process it and to validate yourself because as you were saying there's still that kind of little kid inside of you that's looking for other people to to validate how you feel and 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 sort of the power comes from being able to validate yourself and and validate those emotions and feelings and I think similar to you uh you know like to, to avoid sometimes being vulnerable and, and going going there. But, you know, once you start to do it, it it's, yeah, I feel like quite empowering. I use journaling, you know, as a, I think journaling and, and breathing for me as a way to kind of like connect with my body as a first step. And then it's talking mm-hmm. to people and then, you know, the sort of cycle continues. Totally. Yeah, I feel like I do feel also very lucky because I feel like you and I are similar and we get to have so many great discussions where there's such understanding and it's finding those people within your circle and knowing who relates to what or who's good at kind of understanding specific things versus other things and I think yeah exactly that same thing as well it's it takes daily diligence I think mental health you know and you have to reuse and recycle the tools that work but I think another thing that I find really helpful is kind of daily check-ins and even it's multiple times a day but you know asking myself those questions as I said kind of the beginning of 
how am I feeling today? What sort of energy do I have? I really get anxious when I'm tired and when I'm run down because I like to be active and I like to feel active in my brain and in my body. And when I don't, I've really had to put in the work to be okay with that. And that's especially happened with COVID because obviously everything slowed down. You know, my I work in film, so that goes through ups and downs depending on where the pandemic is and being okay with taking it easy. I really, really struggle with, but I actually feel like I've gotten so much better at it and I'm so much more willing to kind of go with the flow. But I think, yeah, it's daily check-ins helps. Um, I know the other day I was feeling a bit overwhelmed and I feel like just at the moment, there's a limit in how much we can kind of take in and there's a limit of kind of our emotional capacity at the moment. But I did, I kind of combined all those tools and I asked myself this question. I gave myself some homework, which involved journaling, but it was an internal question homework as well, where I was like, okay, well, what gives me power? And I wrote down all these different things that give me power because as you said, like I wanted to remind myself, well, in the end of the day, I'm here and what have what do I have that is powerful and will get me through the next thing and will get me through today when I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. And I think that kind of acknowledgement and conversation is so important. It's, you know, naming it, the fact that, you know, as we said at the beginning or as I was talking about is labeling an eating disorder, identifying it, taking ownership. It's kind of that giving yourself that inner authority of your journey rather than just letting things bottle up because if you do that, eventually it probably will combust discussing with your networks, obviously important for that as well, because I feel like a lot of the times you realize others are suffering the same things or suffering on their own way, but there's that mutual feeling and understanding. And I do think giving kind of, or it gives you power not to ignore it and just kind of accepting, you know what, in this funny little thing called life, there's going to be ups and downs, but that's as cliche as it sounds. That's what it means to be human. And you kind of do have to experience the lows to know the highs. And I don't know, often within those lows and within sharing with others, I know from my experience, there's so many great moments of lightness. And it's funny in a weird way, I look back on all those lowest and darkest times with some degree of fondness because of the lessons that I've learned from them, but also the people who offered support within those periods. Like I still remember so it like fills me with so much love when mom got sick, all of you girls at college gave me and mom this like goodie bag of just like little trinkets and matching bunny slippers. And it just is so overwhelming and wonderful that it just makes things okay. And it kind of gives you this re-empowerment of, okay, it will be okay because look at this network I have around me and look at what we can do. Yeah, and I think from all of that, you kind of just, or I've come to an acceptance that sometimes you just, you kind of just got to go gentle. There was this great quote that a meditation coach said the other week, because my work's putting on these like meditation weekly things, but she said, you are the sky and everything else is weather, which I really liked, which is also kind of that acceptance that, you know, you've got your base as we were talking about, structure which is the sky which is you and you put in the work to maintain that and 
you know, everything else kind of comes and goes and you can have these different emotions come, you can have these different tools come in and out, you can have these different networks, you can have these different um, forms of therapy, which are all great to have. And, you know, you kind of just got to go gentle and accept kind of it all. I love that. That was really beautiful synthesis that I think leads us into what your final, what stage in the journey you find yourself in now. And and it sounds like acceptance. I'm I'm excited at the moment about kind of next stages or the stage that I'm currently in. I feel that I do have an acceptance and acknowledgement of my spectrum I suppose, of things. I think I've put in a lot of work to have an understanding. Um, And I know a lot more about my triggers. I know a lot more about environments that I might need to protect myself more in, or if, you know, situations arise that don't kind of fuel me. I know the importance of doing things that make me feel enriched. I think I know now how to like kind of take a step back and slow down and just kind of, I feel like I've got an active going with the flow. It's a weird kind of dichotomy. I feel like I'm in where I'm really, I've kind of reached a release of saying I can't control everything, but I will have an active pursuit within what I can control. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's a great active go with the flow. It's like, be relaxed and at ease enough to go with everything, but be active and, and go after kind of the things that you want to do. Better or remain okay, or if you're not okay, active in, okay, well, how do we come out from this? I think a big thing that's also helped is a reminder. I always remind myself, okay, even if the situation is different, I've been anxious before, I've been overwhelmed before, and look how far I've come from that and I made it in that point. I made it through so we can do it again. I think it's self-empowering and validating and awareness and, you know, just all the work that we're kind of talking about. It's, it's a daily struggle. It's hard. <laughs> I think that's the other thing that's important is I think we all talk about, which I love, is just like it's exhausting and hard and some days you don't feel up to it and that's okay as well. And some days you just need to go on a two-hour walk with a friend and vent. <laughs> Well, I think it's hard work, but it's important work. And and so having conversations like these, um, I think I could have asked you, we could have spoken for another hour, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I will just ask you, though, before we wrap up, if you have a book recommendation or it could be a podcast channel or something. I've just, well, that podcast I was listening to yesterday, I've just bought the book it's called panic years and it reminds me of another book that I really loved which is called places I stopped on the way home but what I like about the sound of panic years I haven't got it yet and what I liked about the places I stopped on the way home is it's these people discussing the ups and downs of their lives I think reading about other people's experiences and finding that relatability and finding that you're not alone and in your experiences and it might not be exactly the same but that everyone has experienced up and down I find that really helpful because I think mental health can be so isolating especially when you're feeling anxious or sad or 
whatever it is, especially with, as we discussed, the stigmas that can revolve around it, it can be so isolating. So I find reading other people's experiences really, really helpful in my kind of acceptance and self-acknowledgement of the journey that I'm on. Mm, I love that. That sounds great. I'm loving these book recommendations. I've just finished Attached. <laughs> so thank you so much, Chesky. It's been great to have you on the show and really appreciate all your advice. Of course, it was really lovely to chat and I'm excited about what you're doing. If this conversation has inspired you to throw out your average chit-chat and start having real conversations with your friends and family, then we have the perfect game for you. The Crack That Coconut card game is now available for purchase on our website. Follow the link in the show notes to go to crackthatcoconut.com and make your purchase. As promised, the first 50 orders will receive a free coconut goodie along with their purchase. Get ready to crack that coconut and open up!